Sam. Todd. Sam, do you remember what life was like before your podcast? Uh, sketchy, vague memories. Remember how we used to sit next to each other, Sam? I do remember that. Those are good times. Now you just sort of sit up here in your podcast castle. You've moved on. <laughs> high and mighty. You've got staff. Uh, do you like the show? I love it. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming. Wait, hang on. Back up two steps here. This is Outside In, a show about the natural world and how we use it. I'm Sam Evans-Brown, and this is NHPR's Todd Bookman. Do you know what I'm here to talk about today? I do. I know what you're here to talk about. What is it? Lettuce. Not just any kind of lettuce, Sam. Not romaine. Not iceberg. That's uh, uh, Mizuna and Cress. Baby greens. Baby greens. Baby greens. Mild mustard and a, and a, a cress is a kind of has a little bit of a bite. So this is part of our spice mix. So this story is all about a company that is selling baby greens. The company is called Leaf Farms, and they recently built a 50,000-square-foot greenhouse. Wait, wait, 50,000 square feet? How big is 50,000 square feet? Picture a football field. Oh, okay. Uh, it's in the town of Loudoun, New Hampshire, about 15 minutes north of Concord. The inside sort of looks like a cross between a computer chip factory clean room, a Ford factory, and an Ikea. What, is, what do you have the growth time down to? Uh, so we have a crop that's as low as 13 days and one that's up to, I think, 17 days now. So it's... From germination to harvest? Correct. Two weeks? That's crazy. Yep, yep, two weeks. And this place can run year-round? Yeah. Actually, the CEO, Henry Huntington, he told me that when they're at full capacity, this greenhouse will be able to grow 1.3 million pounds of baby greens each year. That is a lot of salad. So is that it? Are we just going to go and tour this greenhouse? Oh, no, no, no. It is so much better than that. I don't think he knew this was going to be a problem to this extent. I just, I couldn't believe it. And, so, and I, I saw it, I thought, now how can you do that? He doesn't want all his neighbors annoyed with him. Anybody got an answer? Anybody have an answer? Today on Outside In, Todd Bookman brings us an inside look at how one company is using fancy pants technology to produce staggering amounts of lettuce. Baby greens. And why that technology is driving some people crazy. And look at whether you should actually be feeling all that great about baby greens grown in New Hampshire in the winter. So let's start with the greenhouse, which, as I mentioned, is kind of like a Ford factory, but for baby greens instead of Mustangs. The whole thing is automated. Instead of pots, the plants are grown in these long trays they call gutters. They take up the whole greenhouse floor. Looks like a miniature rain gutter, and they're about 19 feet long and just under two inches wide. That's Bob Ledoux, by the way. He is the operations manager. So basically, we're looking at an assembly line. First, a machine fills each of these gutters with a really thin layer of nutrients. Next, a robotic arm swings that gutter over to a different machine, which sprinkles a really precise number of tiny seeds into the soil. No humans have touched these plants. Yeah, now I'm picturing the Ford factory. Yeah, it is automated. And then once these gutters are in position, the plants receive a steady dose of liquid food from underneath the gutter. There are actually large storage tanks of this solution on the property. It's what you'd see, you know, at like a big industrial chemistry plant. This hydroponic technology is, is much more efficient in terms of a lot, getting the, the nutrition to the plant. So we can essentially cut the, the growth time in half. So now you've got this 
image, a really big greenhouse, you know, about the size of a football field, glass roof, glass walls, and the whole thing is actually a conveyor belt. Once the gutter is at one end of this football size, you know, picture an end zone, once the gutter is in one end of the end zone, they basically move in slow motion, very slow motion, towards the other end. Wait, how slow? Can you, can you see them moving when you stand there? It's not fluid. The gears click on and off, and it jolts forward a few inches at a time. You can feel the crops moving now. As we walk down through the greenhouse, each one of these groups is one day older than the last. So you can see the crop growing, you know, getting bigger. Each one is is just a day older and, and just a little bit bigger than the last one. That's Henry Huntington. He's the CEO. More from him later. So at the end of their plant journey, they get swept away by yet another conveyor belt that runs the plastic cutter through a harvesting machine, which snips the greens right down at the stalk. The leaves get bagged by another machine, the plastic gutters get rinsed out, they allegedly compost what's left of the stalk and start over again. Allegedly? Or do you have some reason to suspect either? Well, I didn't see it for myself, Sam. <laughs> Facts come first. Yeah. I mean, how much does something like this cost? The baby greens? The whole shebang. Henry invested about $10 million to get this thing up and running. What? A lot of money for a greenhouse, yes. That's insane. Yeah, but think of it this way. How much do you pay for baby greens? Ooh, uh, I do buy them. I like myself a baby green. That surprises me because you're so damn frugal. (laughs) But you're paying for them. Those clamshells, you know, five ounces of baby greens, and this includes Leaf Farms, you know, they're going to charge somewhere between $3.99 and $4.99. And remember, that's that, that, that's a five-ounce package. Yes, so that would be like 15 bucks a pound. I mean, it's, this is spendy. Baby greens are the Prada of produce. They are the Lamborghini of lettuce. The Stradivarius of salad. <laughs> you want me to keep going? God, how long have you been holding on to those? I've been waiting to say that for weeks. I imagine there's some sort of downside here. Well, this isn't exactly an easy thing to pull off. Lettuce usually does not want to grow in the middle of the New England winter. Uh, So leaf basically needs to mimic June weather all year round, you know, warm and humid, 75 degrees, 365 days a year. And they need to mimic lots of natural light. Essentially, we have to feed the plants the same amount of light every day, 24-hour period day. And we want to get as much as we possibly can from the sun and... Anything that we don't get from the sun, we have these, this lighting system to provide that whatever is in deficit. Lighting system like like grow lights? Right, right, exactly. These high-powered, specialized lights that they turn on when the sun goes down. Because it's dark here in the winter. Yeah, of course. It's great, obviously, to have lights if you are a baby green. But stop and think about this for a second. A glass building in a rural part of the world inside of which, at night, they have to turn on extremely bright lights. I was pissed when I saw that light. I just, I couldn't believe it. And, so, and I, I saw it and I thought, now how can you do that? This is Tom Schneider. Tom sounds pissed. I mean, in the annals of fucked up business moves, this seriously rates its own chapter. <laughs> Tom and his wife and his kids, they live in Loudoun. Uh, in this old farmhouse high up on a ridge that he bought a little while back. And 
it's really nice. It's 360 degrees of just beauty. It's it's hard to describe. It's better than I thought it was going to be. Um, the sun, the sunrise, the sunset are like nothing I've seen. I think that's probably what really concerned me at first was um, it, it was the what's this going to do to the view, and I, I think maybe that sounds kind of selfish. I should be more concerned with the ecological and the physiological and psychological impacts this might have. But but initially, I thought aesthetics. It's also worth mentioning this house, Tom's house, is six miles as the crow flies from Leaf Farms. It's not like he's right on top of this greenhouse. And when these lights were switched on for the first time this past winter, Schneider says he didn't even understand like what it was. It was just this strange haze that gobbled up a section of the sky. Unnatural. It wasn't a natural color, like a, a sunset. And Tom, he's not the only one being impacted by this light pollution from Leaf Farms. There are these other folks, Molly and Dan Sperduto, that I spoke with. They live in the opposite direction from the greenhouse. They've got this great house out in a clearing. So the sky is just an orange glow. Actually, the first night we were driving up Route 106, um, and we all thought maybe there was a horrific accident because the sky was so bright. We thought there was a fire, you know, or a conflagration of some sort. Molly says the light is so bright, she doesn't even need to bring a flashlight with her when she takes her dog on walks in the early morning. Since their bedroom window faces Lee Farms, even with their blinds closed, the light is seeping in. Poor Dan has taken to wearing a sleep mask at oh, night. Oh, God. Have you ever tried to wear one of those? Yes. Oh, my God. They're, they're awful. They work. They... I... It's not that bad. I can't sleep with one of those. Like the the mask pressure keeps me up. Take take a melatonin, Sam. <laughs> if you were into you know star watching and um, sky watching constellations and stars and all that, it pretty much would ruin it. If you were here on a good star night and then that, that light came on, show would be over. Hmm. Um, so Todd, have you seen the lights? I have seen pictures of these lights, but uh, can you tell how bright it is? Yes and no. There's definitely there's definitely some light, but it's pretty hard to tell in a picture taken at night exactly what's happening. And it seems we should go see them. I would like to go see these lights. Let's do it. Okay, so we, we just sort of rounded a corner, um, and we were driving away from the Concord Glow, and now we've got something new on the horizon here. But this is just like so... It's like so orange. We can pull into the top of their driveway. I'm sure they won't mind. So it's 4 a.m. on a Tuesday morning. Uh, Sam and I are up this early because since people started getting mad, Leaf switched the hours they use the lights. Instead of turning them on in the evening, they now wait until the middle of the night to to flip them on. They're like an airport almost, but then but then it's like lit up like the X Files. Like it's like we stumbled across some sort of experimentation site where and there's like who knows what's inside there. Does it, is it living up to the expectations? I would say so. I think it's actually more intense than I expected. You know, there's no neighbors in sight. That's the thing to keep in mind. This is an industrial district that used to be a gravel pit. So, who's really being impacted by this right now? The night owls. The night owls. The insomniacs. The insomniacs and perhaps, like, stargazers. Now, since it is a problem that can be solved with just 
a little bit of time and money, it seems perhaps short-sighted to piss everybody off. And that's, that's the trade-off that's being made. Wait, what do you mean that it could have been solved with just a little bit of time and money? Well, that light, it's actually only half as bad as it could have been. And that's because when the company designed and built the greenhouse, it did attempt to cut back on light pollution. It picked out shade curtains. The problem is the shade curtains that they picked out, they are porous and they only block about 50% of the light that this greenhouse emits. And so, you know, that 50%, it's actually enough to pack a town hall meeting. In just a moment, local food meets local government. That's coming up after the break. Just a quick recap. Todd Bookman has been telling us the story of a local food entrepreneur who has run into a lot of local pushback because the greenhouse he built doesn't look like what some people want a farm to look like, especially at night. We pick that story back up at the Loudoun Planning Board. Okay, we'll start off. Um, there's a lot of people here tonight. Um assuming it's for the, uh, to discuss the uh, leaf greenhouses. We'll go right to that discussion. Back in January, the Loudoun Planning Board met for their regularly scheduled Thursday evening meeting. Uh, it's worth mentioning that Henry Huntington, CEO of Leaf Farms, he is on the planning board. Oh, that, that doesn't look good. Well, the first thing he did was he recused himself from the discussion, and Henry took a seat in the front row. Usually these meetings are, you know, small-town government at its most idyllic, but instead of talk of zoning amendments and easements, it was a standing-room-only crowd to bitch about these lights. Who's going to want to buy a house in Loudoun when the sun is out at midnight? This is Skip. Skip was wearing a hat with a NASA logo on it. I know he's into stars. And all night he was fired up. Uh, I want to know what the plan is from the planning board on cutting these lights back. You guys got a plan? Have you talked it over? What's the plan, planning board? Anybody got an answer? What are you going to do about the lights? Anybody have an answer? Skip. What's the plan, planning board? And this went on. This went on for like 30 minutes. People just standing up and asking really pointed questions about whether Leaf Farms had the right permits, which the planning board kept saying they did. Was an environmental impact study done? No. A regional impact study? No. Were planning boards in other towns notified? No. Does Loudon have a dark sky ordinance on the books? Again, no. At the end of the day, come 11 o'clock, well, last night, perfect example. Last night was miserable. Um, I close my shades, they glow orange. And it's not like, um, you know, we're talking about the moonlight here. We're talking about an orange bright light directly in your window. I, I um, see, I see. You know, you can, in, and in, finally, after everyone who wanted to had said their piece about it, Henry stood up and he turned to the audience and he basically asked for their understanding. We built a business that is extremely sustainable. It's answering the question for folks that are looking for, you know, looking for local food production instead of having all their food grown in California and trucked across the country. Uh, it, it's all these things that are, are really good for, for the region. The last thing we thought was that this was gonna be a problem. local food, sustainability. He's like saying, I'm the environmentalist here. Yeah, and I did get the sense that Henry was being authentic. 
But I do take some issue with that phrase, the last thing he thought was that this would be a problem. And, and here's why. The Huntington family have been in the greenhouse business for 40 years. They own other financially successful greenhouses in Loudoun that they grow flowers at. Neighbors of those greenhouses have complained about light pollution. That's in part why they installed the shade curtains at Lee Farms to begin with. They just didn't opt for thick enough ones. And because of how the assembly line is set up, you can't get to the shades without shutting down the whole operation. I think that's the mistake Henry is really kicking himself over. I apologize for where we're at. Uh, We've made a huge investment in this operation. I can't afford to shut down and, 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 uh, and do this now. It would require me to completely shut down to be able to do this. And so that's why I'm asking for some patience to be able to get this done. time with this uh hey uh, it's executive producer maureen mcmurray uh what oh, I mean, I mean, we're i just keep hearing this story and they're like emphasizing that it's local food and that's great but there's kind of like this bright elephant in the room which is this massive greenhouse with the lights on which i imagine you know takes a lot of energy and they have to keep it warm in the winter right for me that's totally i've seen this place in the winter and you go by and there's just like huge amounts of exhaust coming out from burning natural gas to keep a glass house warm all winter long like, in New Hampshire. Like visible? Oh, yeah. Big time. Like like a lot. <laughs> Plants just can't wear blankets, Sam. Which, which is sort of like brings up this question of like, why are we trying to grow a plant that doesn't survive a frost in a place where it's freezing five months out of the year? People love their baby greens. But what's so bad about growing them in Florida and and putting them on a truck and bringing them up here? And so this got me into this whole uh, rabbit hole of doing research. And what you find is that like if you're worried about the the carbon emissions coming from lettuce, um, it is two to four times less carbon to grow them somewhere like Florida or Mexico and put them on a truck and send them here. Oh, but I you know I would imagine that people feel better eating something that's been grown in their backyard and think they're doing something good, so they're not? Well, so, I mean, here's what I think. I mean, local food has been held up as the solution to, like, all the problems in our food system. You know, carbon emissions, bad labor practices, big subsidies for agribusiness, whatever. And people have just heard this one message, like, buy local, ta-da, and and you're, you're going to be absolved of all your sins, but you have to ask yourself, like, what problem are you trying to solve? Because if it's reducing carbon emissions, this doesn't do that. Like, like it does use water more efficiently. Like, if you're worried about California's water issues, that's something. And it does produce vegetables without being really exploitative of, like, migrant workers. But those are really different problems than carbon. Wait, wait, wait. this place has, does it have workers? I thought it was just robots. Yeah, it's got about a dozen workers 
you know, in a town like Loudoun, that's that's not small potatoes, certainly. And they seem like decent jobs. Well, and I think basically we've reached this point where local is good, no matter what local it is. And it sort of skips over the fact that you're growing like semi-tropical plants in a heated greenhouse in a place near the Canadian border. And that's that's not going to be without issues. Well, I mean, I think the solution to the to the problem, if people are willing to do it, is buy some can some stuff. Get those mason jars out. Or eat squash all winter. <laughs> That's so depressing. And this gets to the point, right? Like, this is why the local food movement ultimately will struggle is because people aren't willing to change the way they eat. I want to jump in here and potentially be the bad guy for a second, which is <laughs> on, on this point, like, I don't want to only eat apples and potatoes in the winter. And we are in... Then the, move. We're in the 20... 20- I <laughs> <laughs> like it here. We're in the 21st century. We're like arguably like the richest and most powerful economy in the world. Like, I should be able to eat baby greens if I can afford them. No? Sure. Buy baby greens in the winter, but shouldn't, shouldn't you just get them from Florida? Like, why, why do you have to get them from New Hampshire? Because I've been, like, brainwashed into thinking that local is always better. And perhaps it's, like, a misbranding of, the, of local. And maybe, like, we've accepted as a society, like, this term, like, local as better at all costs. Right. And it's not necessarily. Or at least it might be more complicated than that. Like, don't stop asking questions just because it says local on the bag. Uh, how, do we, how do we wrap this up? Salad? <laughs> <laughs> Outside In was produced this week by Todd Bookman with help from me, Sam Evans-Brown, Maureen McMurray, Taylor Quimby, Logan Shannon, Molly Donahue, Jimmy Gutierrez, and Hannah McCarthy. Special thanks to Dan Barrick, the NHPR News Director, for letting us borrow Todd while he worked on this story. And while it's fresh in your mind, while you're still curious, you should head over to OutsideInRadio.org to see photos of this greenhouse at night. It really is something. And if you're in the mood for some laughs, follow us on social media at Outside In Radio. We cycled through a lot of puns while trying to decide what to name this episode, and we cannot enjoy them alone. We featured music today by Blue Dot Sessions, Poddington Bear, Jason Leonard, and Latch Swing. Our theme music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Outside In is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. 